If you got your Bibles, go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. You guys ready for the word this morning? Come on, who's excited? Who's got their Bible here this morning? Their notebook, hopefully, their papyrus, um, iPad, phone, feather pen. If somebody brought that next week, I would love you forever. Just like old paper and a feather pen would be rock and roll around here. I want to see somebody writing on that. Uh, we're going to continue on in our series, That's Life, and we're going to look at 2 Samuel. So if you haven't been here over the past few weeks, I do want to encourage you, get onto the podcast. Um, that will kind of set you up. The past two weeks, the first two weeks of this series has really been um, our way to create a framework for this series. Is we're now going to kind of jump into what I call some topical review. Um, and uh, the last two weeks, we really took a look at 2 Peter, which told us um, that God has given us everything for life and godliness. And that's really been the premise of the series, that uh, there's real life and real faith. Come on. And uh, that many times we think that where real life is happening, that life is frustrated, that it's hard, that I must not have real faith. And for a lot of people, that concerns them, it frustrates them, it makes them look at themselves in a negative way. But what Peter's telling us is that's actually not the, the case, that real faith can exist in the presence of real life. And so they're not mutually exclusive to each other. So we went through what real faith looks like in the midst of real, real life, and we talked about what real life looks like. And now we're going to be talking over the next who knows for how long, just until I get bored of this series. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about real life issues and, and kind of how this works out. And so the first issue that I want to deal with, we find in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 to 23, and it says this, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. I love that. He danced with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Just at like a little kind of piece of advice, never despise somebody for their worship. Because you never know why they're worshiping. And I know that we have a very, very um, expressive kind of worship around here. And that at times it can get a little bit verbose and it can be a little louder. And people can have their hands lifted and their voices shouting and clapping, happening. But I want to let you know something. Never despise somebody because of their worship. Because you don't know what their worship is overcoming. Right? And I don't know about you, but I need some moments where I just lift my voice and I lift my hands and I get a little bit undignified before the Lord because I got some stuff that I got to overcome. And I've just found out that I overcome a lot of my stuff in the presence of God in worship. So never, never look down on what's happening in, in worship. That's not even about my message, but there you go. Verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among them all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. Now watch what David's about to do. And David returned to bless his household. So kind of watch the tracking that's happening here in David's life. First, the Ark of the Covenant's coming in. David's dancing in his ephod, all right, which is just like a little piece of linen. You're lucky we don't do that during worship. Um, so he's excited. He, he, he's praising God. And now David's returning to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, 
as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This morning, as we continue on our series, That's Life, I want to speak to you from the subject window shot as we deal with the issue of criticism in our lives. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful Mother's Day. Thank you for every single person that sits in this building this morning. God, may we learn of you and from you. May we experience your grace and your presence in these moments. May your word make us better. And God, as we leave the four walls of this building, may we then step into our moment to be the church. I thank you for every single moment that we have together to gaze upon your grace and your love for each and every single one of us. We worship you in this moment. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have been paintballing before? Yeah, paintballing, paintballing before, come on. How many of you want to go paintballing again? <laughs> yeah, some of, I, love, I love paintballing. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife got um, me a paintballing excursion, for lack of better terms, uh, with, uh, with some of my buddies, and so all of us guys went paintballing, and we showed up to this gigantic warehouse, and there was probably like five or six of us guys, and, and uh, you know how guys are when we get into these moments, everything turns competitive um, and violent, like those two things, they have to go, violence and competitiveness, and, and so sure enough, the minute we walked into the doors, like everybody's joking around and having fun as we show up to the paintballing site, but the minute that we walk through the doors and put the mask on, it's game on. You know what I'm talking about? Like even, in, even before we even got to the paintball, the masks came on and people are starting to be like, come on bro, I'm gonna shoot you right now. And the other guy's like, no, no, you're not allowed to shoot in the hallway. You'll hit small children. And so everybody's starting to get riled up and amped up. And, and then you go into, you go into the, uh, the big area where all the paintballing's about to take place. But they haven't even let you into like the caged area yet, right? This is just the prep area. They have the hallway where you get amped. And then you walk into the paint area where you get to start loading your weapon. And I don't know about you, but I'm not around weapons that often, all right? But when I get around paintball gun and all of a sudden you start loading up, I feel like I'm in the movie Predator, right? And all of a sudden, like everything, like every piece of testosterone that I have in my body starts to just flare, right? I know this is a great Mother's Day message. <laughs> Should have been here for the women's thing. Um, <laughs> and so all of a sudden, like I go from like kind of, you know, I'm not like typically just this type of person, but then you get me in this section and, and all of a sudden everything changes, like I see red and uh, I put the mask on and I'm ready and I'm waiting for the guy and then he sends us into the cage and that's what just all my happy energy starts to come out. So the other team goes to the other side and then you start the paintball round, right? And everything inside of you, I know it's not real bullets, y'all, but like seriously, you feel like they are, Right? Because everything starts whizzing past you, guys who actually know what you're doing. And so I'm the guy like where I bob and weave, I duck and cover when nothing's coming at me, right? <laughs> That's just the way that I roll. So we start the game and I hit the ground and I'm like crawling across, like trying to get behind everything and bullets are flying. And, and so this particular round of paintball, I was surviving the game. 
I found my position. I was behind my inflatable whatever it was, and I'm peeking out and coming back and peeking out and coming back, and then I do like the no look, right? And then like I'm in the movie, and I'm talking to somebody who's not even there, and I'm like, cover me, cover me. And I'm in it, I'm in this game, and I still remember, and I'll never forget when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I felt something hit me in the back. It's like, wait a second. I'm supposed to be hit from the front. Who hit me in the back? And I turn around, and my buddy is giggling because he shot me right in the back. All of a sudden, who I thought was the enemy was no longer my enemy. My friend became my enemy (laughs) and took me out. And what I've come to realize is that criticism is no different. Because a lot of times, criticism, guys, come on, think through this. When we receive it from people who aren't in our world and aren't in our life, come on, how many of you know that criticism is easy to rub off? But when all of a sudden criticism hits you from the backside, it turns into a weapon of mass destruction in our lives. And this is what's happening with David. Think about this picture. David's worshiping before the Lord. He's excited. Now, previous to this point, the Ark of the Covenant was actually outside of the city because David was fearful to bring it in. Now, it's outside the city, and David sees that where the Ark of the Covenant was at, it was actually blessing. God was blessing where it was at. So David goes, hey, we got to bring the Ark of the Covenant inside the city. So he brings it in the city. There's this big old parade, and David's dancing. He's dancing in his ephod. Little piece of linen. (laughs) It'd be nowadays if you showed up and seen your pastors in a Speedo worshiping Jesus. Like, it's a bad picture, right? It's not a good picture. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) My wife just said amen, though, so there you go. Service dismissed. (laughs) So David's worshiping, he's dancing, and the Bible tells us that his wife looks through a window and despises his worship. But David doesn't realize that this is taking place. David comes back, he wants to go bless his household. And in that moment when he comes, the Bible indicates to us that his wife, Michael, didn't even wait for him to get in the house. She came out to meet him, and all of a sudden, boom, criticism, a shot in the back. It was a window shot. She was staring at him out of a window, no context, no understanding, no realization, looking outside of this small little framework criticism. What I've come to learn is it really doesn't matter when somebody from the outside of our world brings criticism against us. It's easy for us to let that slide off of our back, but come on, how many of you know when criticism comes from our closest circle, our friends, our family, our husbands, our wives, you, you fill in the blank. How many of you know that that criticism hurts more than anything? And I think this is something that we don't chat about that often in church. We can brush over certain things like this. But come on, how many of you in a moment of criticism have almost lost your salvation because you were about to take a brother out, right? And so we got to deal with the issue of criticism. 
She sees what she sees from a window and takes a shot at him in one of his most passionate and alive moments. You ever been there before? You ever had that happen? You know, when everything is going well, you're in the best of moods you have ever been in. It seems as if the sun is literally shining on your life and then all of a sudden a window shot. Out of nowhere, a critical word is brought to you, spoken over you. You are confronted with criticism. And in that moment, as much as you try not to let it, it affects you and your inner world. And maybe outer world starts to crumble around you. You ever been there before? When criticism takes a shot at your life. And that's really what I want to deal with this morning. You know, the reality is that we're all going to deal with criticism. It's bound to find its way into our lives. Whether we are the critics or someone in our lives is being critical towards us, maybe a friend, a brother, a sister, spouse, boss, leader, you fill in the blank. In life, we are going to experience criticism. The question is whether or not we will be able to deal with the criticism appropriately. Why is it difficult for us? Well, criticism attacks four areas of our lives. The first area that it attacks is that criticism attacks our value. We've come to find that criticism has a tendency to attack our value, who we are, who we believe ourselves to be, the general value that we see of our lives. And, and, and then this also depends, too, on the scale of 1 to 10, what you believe about yourself. So if you have a high value system in your life, if you have a high value of who you are, then criticism has to be a little bit more forceful in order to attack your value. But if you're struggling in this area, if you're struggling valuing yourself, come on, criticism will destroy you. Why? Because criticism attacks your, your value. The second area of attacks is attacks our beliefs. You ever been criticized for your beliefs before? Right? See, for me, it's easy to hop on social media and have people from all over the world criticize my beliefs. Whatever. Doesn't matter. But someone in my family criticizes my beliefs? How many of you know that gets difficult? Right? A friend, a, a coworker. Come on, anybody have their beliefs criticized before? <laughs> Man, it's hard to deal with and you shrink back at times. Why? Because criticism doesn't attack these physical areas of our life necessarily. It goes after our value. It goes after our beliefs. The third area that it attacks is it attacks our security. It attacks our security. Think about what David was doing. I mean, you've got to be a secure dude to roll up in an ephod and start worshiping Jesus. Right? I mean, you've got to be pretty strong in who you are to start dancing that way before the Lord. And that's why I love David. David was not a perfect person. I mean, we can all agree on that, right? He jacked some things up. But he loved Jesus. He worshipped Jesus. What I love about David is that he was the dude that destroyed Goliath, but he was also the guy that played a harp and made some poems. They're called Psalms. I mean, that was your like renaissance man. That's who David was. And he danced before the Lord because he wanted to worship. And I got to just imagine that that piece of criticism that came from his wife started to attack the security of a man who was postured before the Lord in a certain way. So criticism attacks our value, our beliefs, our security. One of the other areas, the fourth area that it attacks is it attacks our character. It attacks who we are. I know I've had many moments where there's been criticism brought to my life and it's taken a shot at my character. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I take great consideration of, of my character. 
When I was in Bible college, I had professors and leaders and pastors in my life who would constantly make me aware and make it known that when it comes to ministry, when it comes to pastoring people, when it comes to leading, listen, when it comes to being a Christian, it's not about being a pastor even necessarily. When it comes to being a Christ follow, your character and your integrity are king. Your character, it doesn't matter what your gift, I could care less what you're gifted in. You might have the best voice on the planet. You may be like, move over, Pastor Justin. Wait for me, wait till you hear this song come out of my mouth. Literally, the angels will part the clouds and they will sing with me. I don't care about your gift if your integrity and your character isn't intact. And the deal with criticism is, is it will attack your character. It will attack your character. And this is why criticism is such a mass weapon of destruction in our lives, especially in the world that we live in today where it seems like everyone has a microphone and can use it however however and whenever they want to. Because of that microphone, we also believe that we can say whatever we want, whenever we want, and it would seem that criticism, criticism seems to be people's default nowadays. Come on, how many of you would agree with that? Right, it's a lot easier for us to be critical right out the gate nowadays than anything else. You see it. I mean, things are visceral right now. No one knows how to say anything. Like, sticks and stones may break my bones. I think that, like, how funny that is, but it's so true in the generation. Like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I know that's, like, a really old saying, but come on, how many of you know that our world might just be a little bit better of a place if we'd start exercising that a little bit more? And the deal is, is that criticism comes so fast and natural to us. Now you may say, wait, can't criticism be a good thing? I'm just being truthful. I'm just telling it like it is. I'm keeping it real. (laughs) But what we have to understand is that the truth of criticism is found in its definition. This is literally the definition of criticism. All right? From the dictionary, the expression of disapproval of someone or something based upon perceived faults or mistakes. Listen, in other words, criticism is subjective. And it's amazing how we use criticism to establish truth. Think about that. From the dictionary, it's telling us that criticism is subjective, yet we use it as truth. Continue to say, the act of passing judgment as to the merits of anything, the act of passing severe judgment, censure, or fault-finding. The core reality to criticism is the act of making a subjective judgment based upon the desire to find fault or express judgment from a negative perspective without desire to produce change or correction. That is criticism. That's my definition of, of, of criticism. Doctors John and Julie Gottman are therapists who have done the most research on the effects of criticism on relationships. The two are famous for their love lab in which hundreds of couples were screened, interviewed, and observed over the course of two decades. As a result of their research, the Gottmans could predict, they would say, in less than five minutes with 90% accuracy if a couple was going to stay together or divorce. They came up with a metaphor to describe four communication styles that can predict the end of a relationship. They termed them, check this out, this is what they termed their, termed their research, the four horsemen. A phrase coined after the four horsemen of the apocalypse from the New Testament, depicting the end of time. And this is what they were, the four horsemen in our relationships. Contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, can you guess what the fourth one was? Criticism. 
And what I find interesting is that we're not just talking about criticism from a purely religious framework. There is extensive psychological study as the effects of criticism, especially when it comes to the development of relationships. In another study conducted, the reason that criticism comes so naturally to us, check this out, is because our brain is wired for war. That's what psychological studies are finding, that our brain is wired for it. No wonder that when I get into a paintball zone, watch out, baby, I will take you down. Why? Because our brains are wired for war. Stan Tatkin, who created a psychological approach to couples therapy known as PACT, is another well-known clinical expert and researcher on couples. He describes in great detail how the brain can be wired for both war and love, but points out that our brains are not necessarily that good at this thing called love. He writes, and I quote, the brain's wired first and foremost for war rather than love. Its primary function is to ensure we survive as individuals individuals and as a species and it's very very good at this in other words our survival mechanism comes in and our brain actually identifies that criticism is a weapon of warfare think about that our brain literally has a weapon that it then brings up to help us navigate through life. And it says to us, if we're going to survive the world that we live in, if I'm going to survive the relational waters that I find myself in, then one of the greatest weapons that I can retrieve in my arsenal is the weapon of criticism. Come on, have you ever been criticized before? And it feels like you just took a shot. This is why it drives me insane when people criticize the church. No wonder the church has holes in it. We've been spending decades, millennia, criticizing instead of loving and building. Come on, no wonder marriages are are, are rocky and, and, and frustrated because we spend more time throwing criticism at it, hailing boulders of criticism at our relationships, and we're wondering what's going on. No wonder our kids are growing up in ways that we don't want them to grow up because our first port of call says our brain is that criticism is the only way that we're going to survive this thing. But I want to tell you this morning that God has given us a different way to be human. Romans tells us that through the renewing of our mind, our mind doesn't have to be wired for war anymore. It can be wired for love. And I can spit out the greatest encouragement and love and hope in people's lives if I just rewire some stuff up in here. The gospel informs us. Jesus gives us everything necessary for life and godliness. And so what I want to do is I want to help us deal with criticism when it finds its way into our lives. And I want to spend the rest of our time together looking at that. I want to look at three things that we must understand about criticism so that we can deal with it healthfully and in a biblical manner in our lives. Whether we're receiving criticism or we're at the moment where we're about to give criticism. May we remember these three things. Come on, shout number one for me. Number one, criticism loses its power when we learn to consider the source. Criticism loses its power when we learn to consider the source. Source is a very important reality for our lives. I remember when I was in college and I was writing paper after paper, creating thesis after thesis and building bibliography after bibliography. One of my teachers would say the same thing over and over again. He would say, be very considerate of your source. To which we say, like, wait, wait, Wikipedia is not okay? 
To which he would say, in a theological paper, son, if you're using Wikipedia, we have some issues. <laughs> Why? Because we've got to consider our source. When I was writing paper concerning doctrine and theology, the source of my information has to be of the utmost consideration. I was laborious in study to make sure that the source of my information is vetted in such a manner that my paper would stand with integrity and legitimacy. You know, when it comes to criticism, it's no different. We have to be very considerate of the source. Mark Batterson, who pastors a church in Washington, D.C., and author of the book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, said something concerning this issue that has stuck with me for a very long time. He said this, and I quote, an insult from a fool is actually a compliment, and a compliment from a fool is actually an insult. Why? Because we gotta consider the source. We gotta consider the source. Source is important. What's he saying? You have to consider the source. For many of us, we take on criticism from sources that have no right to speak into our lives. Right? Listen, there's a difference. Come on, somebody got to hear me this morning. There is a difference between criticism and counsel. No, I, I'm going to say that just one more time. There is a massive difference between criticism and counsel. It's a source issue. Right? It's a source. And it's determined by two main factors, relationship and motive. Am I talking too quick this morning? <laughs> Got a lot of stuff I want to get out. It blows my mind how many times we listen to the critic over the counselor. The Bible tells us over and over and over again about the wisdom that is found in listening to the counselors in our lives, but there is no wisdom in listening to the critic. But we switch it up. We give more power to the critic than we do to the counselor. And then we get frustrated at the counselor when they're actually giving us good, sound, wise advice, and we're okay with allowing our life to be subject to the critic who could care less what happens to our world. Right? And then we get mad at the counselor. It's amazing. Teens. Can I talk to you for a minute, for the four of you who are in here right now? <laughs> Some pass this along. When mom and dad are giving advice, it's not criticism, it's counsel. Can I just talk to everybody who has a parent in their world right now? <laughs> Right? Because I know young adults in here, come on, and young professionals, uh, 30 plus, I listen to my parents still all the time. Why? Because they're giving me counsel, they're not critiquing me. And it's funny how we will reject the counselor and then we will go to the critic and get information that is going to leave our life in disarray. We've got to be aware of who's counseling and who's critiquing. It blows my mind how many times we listen to the critic over the counselor. Another way to look at this is considering the source would be this. We have to learn to rate the weight. And what I mean by that is by learning to rate the weight of a person's voice in my life. And I do that by assessing the motive and overall care that that person in question may have for my life. Do you know when my wife says things to me, I do not consider it criticism. Has she criticized me before? Yes. 100%. Have I criticized her before? Yes, 100%, to which we ask for forgiveness. But by and large, 90 plus percent of the time, her voice in my life is not criticism, it's counsel. And I have one or two ways I can, I can accept it or I can reject it. You're just critiquing me. You're just being critical, right? When really, she's not being critical, why? Because the motive in the heart for her mouth in my life is to build me up. We've got to assess who is in our lives who is a critic 
or who is the counselor. We've got to rate the weight of that voice. I'm trying right now in my children's lives with my daughter and my son and my soon-to-be daughter, I'm going to make sure that my voice weighs a million pounds in their life. Why? Because it's a teeter-totter project. What do I mean by that? This is what it means. I want my children to know that my voice is worth its weight in gold so that when other voices start to come in their lives, when that voice tries to stand on the other side of the teeter-totter, I can just stand here like this. My voice is heavy. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Because there's going to be a lot of voices that are going to try to come into their lives. There's going to be a lot of criticism that's going to try to destroy them. But when they understand that their counselor, their father, his voice is with integrity and character and passion and love and truth. When I speak into their heart, when I speak things into their world, they know that what they are getting is counsel, not critique. So that critique doesn't have to destroy them. Come on, criticism loses its power when we learn to consider the source. Number two, every shot number two for me. Criticism loses its power when we learn to consider its cause. Come on, you getting something out of this this morning? When we learn to consider its cause. Genesis 37, one through eight. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock of his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah, Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their, of them to their father. He was a tattletale. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, but when his brothers saw, watch this, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. See, Joseph would then receive criticism from his brothers ultimately death threats. (laughs) None of you have been there yet, okay? From his brothers. What is the root cause of criticism that is being brought into our lives? That's one of the best questions that we can ask ourselves. Criticism is not criticism. (laughs) I want to say this to all of us this morning. Please hear my heart behind this. Criticism is not criticism if you really are being a jerk. (laughs) Come on, can I hear a good amen this morning? (laughs) Some of you are like, you said jerk in church. (laughs) Yes, Criticism is not criticism if you are really being a jerk. Oh, I can't believe you criticized me for how I'm speaking and talking to you. Well, you're being a jerk. Right? We'll say to our kids, I do not like the way that you're speaking to me right now. Am I being critical? No. I'm helping them assess that what is coming out of their mouth is not good. Right? So that's one thing. Criticism is not criticism if you're really being a jerk. It's amazing how many times we pull the criticism card when we are experiencing what we believe criticism is, but rather it's just a per- public service announcement as to our attitude. Right? <laughs> this is why we must consider the cause. On the other hand, you may be experiencing criticism because as in the case of Joseph, his brothers were jealous, they were envious, they were bitter, and so they brought criticism into his life. Fair enough. And this was something that Jesus often dealt with as he was criticized for just about everything. Everything. He had to wade through all the motives that were behind much of the criticism that he received. He would receive criticism from his own disciples. 
Come on, think about it. Moment after moment after moment, right? Um, woman would come in and she would break an alabaster jar of perfume and just wipe it all over his feet with her hair. Like the most insane picture that you can get. And Jesus is pumped about this and Judas is like, listen, guys, we could actually took that and sold that and made a lot of money and like helped the poor. But then the Bible tells us secretly Judas was just skimming off the top. That was the only reason that he wanted to sell it anyways. And he was bringing critique to who Jesus was in that moment. The Pharisees, they would critique Jesus. The disciples, is Jesus crazy? What is he going to try to feed all these people with just this little bit? Critique, 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 critique. And in order to overcome critique, you have to consider not just the source, but you have to consider the cause. Why is somebody bringing critique into my life? When Michael came to David, he was able to withstand the critique because he saw what the root of the critic was. His wife in that moment wasn't frustrated at David. She was dealing with her own heart issue concerning worship. Think about that. David's out in the street dancing, worshiping, praising God, doing everything that you would do when the Ark of the Covenant was coming into town. And she was in a window. This is what criticism looks like. <laughs> Think about it. This is what, no one's out there. She's not out there like judging David's like, she's not out there like dancing with him, doing the thing, and then David's like ephod, and that's like too much, and like everything like that. David, you should probably calm it down a little bit, but she's out there dancing with him, doing, ah, uh-uh, that's not where he, she was at. She was over here in a window, peering out the window, saying, oh, I can't believe that he would dance like that before the Lord. I can't believe that he would be this way with the Ark of the Covenant. I can't believe. It's sneaky. Sneaky little window shot. Think about where the other disciples were. I gotta imagine because they were kind of dysfunctional at best. I've gotta imagine that the other disciples had their thing to say about Peter when Peter's like, call me Lord, if it's you out there walking on water, call me to you. And they're like, Peter, of course it's gonna be Peter that he's gonna like stand on the edge of the boat. I mean, like, of course it's gonna be Peter. Thomas, watch this guy, he's gonna fully fall in the water. Then imagine, Peter steps out, lands on water, starts walking to Jesus. Oh, I would have loved to have been there. Man, I would have loved to have been in the boat. To hear more criticism. Not yay, Peter, go, Peter, yay, Peter. Uh Uh-uh. Peter's walking on water with Jesus. Did he get wobbly? Did he start to sink? Yeah. But let me tell you what. Every single day and twice on Sunday, I would much rather be Peter walking on water and sinking than the other disciples criticizing out of the boat. So we got to consider the cause of our criticism. Come on, is this helping anybody out this morning? And the third one is this. The last one is this. Everybody shot number three. Criticism loses its power when we learn to consider our calling. Criticism loses its power when we learn to consider our calling. John chapter 15, 18 through 25. If the, (laughs) I hate the scripture. I'm not gonna lie, like straight up as your pastor, I hate this portion of the Bible. You'll find out why. 
If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus speaking. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. That's a tough pill to swallow. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Listen, criticism loses its power when we learn to consider our calling. And I would be amiss to say, you know what? I talk very practically a lot around here. But criticism is not just a practicality issue. It's a spiritual warfare issue. Because sometimes there is no rhyme and there is no reason except for the simple fact that I am receiving what my Savior received. I do not understand. The world that I live in does not understand. It doesn't understand why we, we hold this book up as the truth of our lives. The world does not understand why the framework of my everything is built upon this word right here. The, word, the world does not understand why I love without bias. The world does not understand why I decide what I decide in my life, why I pray over my kids, why I pray over people. The world doesn't understand why I pastor a church or love Jesus. The world doesn't understand why I do what I do and I will receive critique from the world, but I gotta learn to consider the source I gotta learn to consider the cause and I gotta learn to consider my calling because they first experienced it all in Jesus so the question is this are we dealing with criticism this morning you may be you know what I think moms take the heaviest amount of criticism in the world that we live in moms receive some of the greatest criticism from themselves take a break from the mommy blogs come on I'm not trying to offend anybody I'm just trying to say some things that might help take a break from Facebook take a break from Instagram when perfect little mommy over here has all the kiddos with all the hair done and everything like that and like Erica says many times my kids will never look like that ever we got out of the house all right and four of us are still alive we're good. We are good. I don't care if the underwear is backwards and those aren't even pants. <laughs> I think this is the most powerful thought that we, could, we can close this out with this morning. Okay, Jason, yeah, I get it. Criticism from the world at a kind of at a blanket statement. I can deal with that. That's easy. Let it roll off my back. Criticism from those closest to me. Absolutely. I can see that. that that's a weapon of mass destruction. But criticism from ourselves, that will kill you. That will kill you from the inside out. Stop criticizing yourself. Affirm yourself. In the word that was given by the man whose name is above every other name 
Think about that. His name is above every other name to which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And that is the word that I want in my life. He doesn't criticize. He loves. He guides. He instructs. Why? Because he's the perfect shepherd. He leads us beside still waters where my soul is refreshed. My head is lifted up. I can step into what he has for me. It's Mother's Day weekend. Let's stop the criticism. Let's shut the internal voice down. Let's consider the source. Let's consider the cause. Let's consider our calling. And let's be the people who step in to the destiny that God has for each and every single one of our lives. Come on, would you stand here?